0: Welcome to our verse-by-verse journey through Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In this Gospel, Matthew seeks to prove to the Jews that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. For those of us who aren't Jews, Matthew helps us to see our Savior King more clearly and through his gospel, learn to live well in his, in Christ kingdom today. So grab a cup of coffee, open your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew, and let's learn about our Savior King and his kingdom. All right, turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 16. Which way are you going? Okay. Matthew 16. As we continue our study through the first gospel, the gospel of Matthew, a series I've entitled The Savior, King, and His Kingdom, open with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. Lord, I, I... I wanna just pause and say thank you, Jesus, for the written word. This world is filled with so many things that confuse and and cloud our minds with, with just stuff. And we can come to your word and we can see clearly, we can find clarity, we can find truth, we can find peace and hope, we can find love and joy and we can find you Jesus and I thank you for that and I pray one of my special prayers for myself and for others is lord that we're, our love for you I pray would grow and I know that the way that our love grows is when we have a love for your word and so I pray lord stir up that love for your word that as we get into this text and especially a text that that asks what I think is one of the most important questions that that any person on earth is going to have to answer at some point. Lord, help us to see clearly who you are. We thank you for this day, and we give this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. So we're in Matthew 16. In 2005, I had the the great blessing of traveling to and visiting Israel. And if you've never done that, now may not be the best time to do it, but um, you know, at some point, it's a pretty radical thing. And I know that that time that I spent over it was transformational for me. Um, it was. It, it happened to come in the early days of the church, of this church, and I know it added something to my life that I can I can never I can never I can never estimate the total value of. I've always had a love for God's word, you know, not always. Once I started figuring out what it was, I that's one of the first things God stirred up with me is a love for his word. And and you know, you know and I, I studied it, I I I was teaching it and um you know, and in reality, you know, the the word of God is in, in many in many ways is two-dimensional. It's flat. You know, we, we get in the words and we, we use our imagination to put ourselves into the accounts, which I think we should try to see ourselves in the, in the scenario, in the circumstances, in the, in the culture, as much as we possibly can. But it's, it's never enough. When I went to Israel i'm I'm seeing the things that the Word of God is talking about I'm in those places I'm walking on those roads i'm 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 seeing the backdrop and the culture of all these things much of it that we're talking about here and it's it just it just it just gave me it gave new life to the Word of God. I'm I'm you know, I, I walked some of the same paths that we see described here. I, I stood on the seashore of the Sea of Galilee, and I can imagine Jesus there and and those accounts. I I I sailed in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. There was no storm. Say thank you, Jesus. But you know, it was it, you know, I was there. I I saw it, I could see the the topography and the and the different things. I visited what was believed to be the Garden of Gethsemane with olive trees that could have been there, that are believed to have been there when Christ was there. That's a radical thing when you start seeing it and you start imagining yourself, this is where he was. I walked into a tomb. It was empty, in case you're wondering. <laughs> I, you know, I, in the garden where they think maybe, you know, some of these things happened, Before that trip, I had imagined many of the things that I was reading and studying. I was trying to use the God-given imagination to see them more clearly. I no longer had to imagine many of them. I had seen them. Every day on that trip was filled with one spiritual moment after another. I I went with Pastor um, Clark from Bible Fellowship. He's a He's a very gifted Bible teacher. He knows his stuff. And so he taught us through, I mean, for a week solid. I had a week solid of teaching in Israel that was pretty radical. One such powerful moment is where today's text took place. In Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, it says this when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi is located about 25 miles north of Galilee. It was on the northern border of Israel. And so it was in this area where there was a very strong Gentile influence as well as a a very prolific pagan idol worship going on. It was a site of the worship of the God Pan. Now we're gonna put an, an image up here in a second. This is actually a picture that I took while I was there, thank you. That cave on the left that you see there was back in the time of Christ, there was, it was one of, the, flowed out, flowing out of that was a stream that was one of the tributaries that would flow into the Sea of Galilee and then supplied water for the Jordan River. Came right out of that cave. They also had, at that, at that time, there was a statue, a large statue to the god, the false god, the, the idol Pan. And it was believed that that cave was the entrance to the underworld. So, you know, it's a really uplifting kind of a place there. In the next image... And you can see it there, that, that, that carving there and there's a few others. And if you look closely, you see there's a whole bunch of these little alcoves carved into it. They were filled with idols. And so there was all, every kind of deity that they imagined in those days, they had little, little altars to them there. And then there, uh, where you can see where those people are standing up on top, there's a large stone platform. It's all stone there. The whole thing is just solid stone. And there's this platform here where they would do their pagan idol worship, whatever pagan ceremonies there were going on. This is the backdrop for today's text. Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and this is where they are. There's a lot more to it, but we don't have time to get into all detail to it. But it's this rock face that goes up probably 100 feet or so, and, and this is where Jesus is when the disciples, when he asked the disciples this next question, verse 13, continuing on. He asked the disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? Remember, he's, he's, he's in this area. There are this God and that God and this God. There were just dozens of them here. And Jesus says, so who do, who do men say that I am? Son of man, who do they say that I am? The world has a lot of weird ideas about who Jesus is. Somebody say, yes, they do. Weird ideas. That I, you know, they 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 you know, they, they call him good teacher, they call him miracle worker, they call him, you know, not real. Some, you know, there's all kinds of ideas that people have about who Jesus is. In the end, it doesn't matter what the world says doesn't matter who the world thinks Jesus is. Verse 15. Let's read 14 too. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, first they say, you know, some say John, some say Elijah, some say um, uh, Jeremiah. Jer- all, these are three of the major, you know, John the Baptist, he was one of the most recent of the Old Testament-like prophets, and, you know, and, and so they, they, they point to really kind of three different elements of how people were speaking about the coming Messiah, But Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Peter speaks on behalf of all the the disciples, you you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The most important question that every single human must answer is this question right here. Who is Jesus? Who is he? They're not gonna ask you you're not going to get to heaven and, you know, somebody's going to ask you, you know, how much did you give to the church this morning? They're not going to ask that. It's not going to come up. They're not going to ask, how, you know, how, how well did you do worship, you know, on Sunday morning? How well did you sing worship on Sunday morning? How well did you clean? How well did you preach? How well did you take care of... The, not, that's, none of that's going to be the issue. One issue. One question. Who is Jesus. And if you don't get that one right, let me tell you, nothing else matters. Doesn't matter how good you are. Doesn't matter how bad you are. Doesn't matter how far you traveled to come to church this morning. How far was it? It's a thousand miles? A thousand miles. That's pretty good. Robert, how much do you have? yeah. I don't know. It's a lot. You're, you're all over the, He's all over the country. So I have no idea where he came from today. None of that matters. Who is Jesus? That's it. You know, it doesn't matter what church you belong to. Doesn't matter what your theology is. Doesn't matter what your doctrine is. Doesn't matter what you know. What clothes you wear. None of that stuff matters. What matters is who is Jesus. If you don't get that right, nothing. Else matters. Your eternity hangs on that one question. One question. We make it so complicated, don't we? We try to make it into some big deal and some, you know, some hard thing. And, and, and Christianity is not easy. I'm going to give you that. But you know, being a Christian, becoming a Christian, is not that hard. It Takes one thing, or one person, to be more accurate. <laughs> Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a fact. That's a fact. That is truth. That is true. But confessing that fact will not save anyone. Just saying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, does not save you. You must believe it. It's got to come out of the inside. It's got to come out of you. It's got to be something that you believe is absolute truth. I know who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He is God in the flesh. You've got to believe it. Peter answers for all the disciples. We know who you are. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. This is a Jew saying that Jesus is the one all of the Old Testament prophets said was coming. There's a guy coming. There's a man coming. There's a person coming who is the Savior, is the Messiah. Now I want you to just pause and think about this. The disciples have seen Jesus. We have no idea at specific how far into the ministry. We, we believe this is on the, the latter end of the ministry. We're getting close to the end of the ministry of Christ when we get to this point. We start to, we're starting to move toward Jerusalem at this point. You know, so, so the disciples have seen a lot, right? They, they've, seen, they've seen Jesus do a lot. They've seen him, they've seen him heal. How many times? There's no way of counting. There's just so many. Every, every single person that's brought to Jesus was healed. How healed? All the way healed. Radical. Yeah, they, and it doesn't matter what the issue was, he healed them. He, he fed people, miraculously, at least twice. He walked on water. Isn't it? That as he's... As he's They've been around that and, and they've and they've seen that. They've seen him do these radical things. But it's here is the very first time we say them make this type of a declaration. It's it's like it's like it, they it's finally sinking in who this guy is. Remember, if you remember that time when he walked on water, remember what they said? Who is this guy? Who is this man? Yeah, he walks on water, and then he stills the storm with his with a word, and they're they're blown away by it. This is not an emotional response by Peter. Peter recognizes, and he's speaking on behalf of the, uh, the others. Okay, we now know who you are. He's not. He's not. It's not an emotion. They're just. They're just walking along. They're walking along in nature. They're walking along, seeing all this. Who knows what's going on, and, and this. Pagan idolatry stuff that's going on here. They're they're just walking along, and and Jesus asks the question, and Peter answers it. This is coming out of Peter, out of his heart and his mind. Listen, we have emotions, right? Anybody here have emotions? Kelly says I have two. Am I up to two yet? Two. Two feelings. I don't know about emotions. i got two feelings. God doesn't get emotional about our emotional responses. Because we do respond emotionally to things, right? You know, I brought the puppy in. You know, we have this puppy we're dealing with. Dealing with this puppy. Oh! You know, the girls get all excited by it. God doesn't get emotional about our emotional responses, but he does get emotional about our responses of faith. When our faith is activated, when our faith comes out, oh, that gets God going. So they're walking along, this backdrop of pagan idol worship all around them, and then Jesus asks the question, when he had when he had calmed the storm, and they said, "Who is this guy?" They didn't know. But here they don't have those questions anymore. And from this point on, we don't see them questioning him the same way. And Jesus is going to respond to their faith. Verse 17: Jesus answered and said to him, "Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father, who is in heaven." Now, now we're going to get into this text here as we get a little bit further into it, where there are some just gross misinterpretations of these verses. And we're not going to spend a ton of time on it, but I'm going to tell you what we believe and you can take it from there. But the focus here is on Peter. And it's not because Peter is the exceptional apostle, the exceptional disciple, because he's not. He's just the most outspoken of the 12. You know, I, you know if, if you, I've got, you know, in, in my Bible studies, anyone my leading a Bible studies, if you get a group of people, I've always got one person that will answer every single question. If you ask a question, they're going to answer it. And, and it's not because they're trying to be anything. It's just their nature is they're just more outgoing. And then you have some people that you have to beg them to answer a question. Please just tell me your name so I know you're, you're still alive. You know, it's just the way people are. Peter is the one that's always gonna speak up. Jesus tells Peter, Peter, you didn't figure this out on your own. You, you didn't figure this out by walking with me for all this time. You didn't figure this out by watching all my miracles. You didn't figure out this by, by you know, walking on water with me. You didn't figure this out by, by, you know, by you know, any of these other things. You didn't By my teaching, by, my, you know, by teaching. You, you taught a lot of really radical things. He says, God revealed it to you. Listen, no one figures out who Jesus is on their own. You can't. You cannot figure out who Jesus is on your own. You can memorize the Bible. You won't know Jesus. You can't. You'll know about Jesus. You'll know what the Word says about Jesus, but you won't know Jesus you will not be able to do what Peter did. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that came out of what he knew who Jesus was. Not knowledge, but faith. He believed Jesus was. And you can't do that apart from, apart from God. John six forty four. no one... C- Can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Listen, it's no different today. You want to know who Jesus is? You got to let God tell you. Now, now we need to do our part. What's our part? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Because that's where where we learn everything there is, everything that God revealed about himself and Jesus and who we are in his kingdom. All of these things that we need to know are in this book. No extra books. No extra chapters. No special dispensations. It's all right here. You got to do that part. But then everything else comes from God. God opens up your heart. By the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, the Spirit of God ministering to your heart and causing you to believe the very things the Word of God says, if you're willing. Because you got to be willing too, right? You got to believe. You got to want to believe that what God's Word says is true. And then the Spirit of God comes and makes it alive inside of you. Jesus says, You're blessed, Peter. You're blessed. You're blessed because you, the Father, revealed it to you. And Peter chose to believe. That same blessing is available to anyone who will trust God, is willing to trust God, and will believe. Remember, we talked about the scribes and the Pharisees. What was their problem? They were unwilling to believe. Didn't matter what Jesus did. We want we want you to show us a sign, and Jesus said "Uh, no. Why? They were unwilling to believe. Jesus could have stopped the sun of the sky right in that moment, and they said, "Oh, that's a coincidence. You didn't actually do that." Or what else did they do? Oh, you're channeling the power of the devil. Come on. You got to believe. You have to be willing to believe. There's a, there's a transition point that takes place here, starting right here in this text. From this point on, Jesus is going to make it clear what's coming. And we're going to talk about that. We'll start talking about it in a few weeks. He's going to talk plainly about his upcoming passion, about his time going to the cross. He's going to start explaining to it, telling them about it, preparing them for what is coming. Preparing them, it's obvious by their reaction that they weren't prepared. I don't know if anybody could be, but we see him making this turn now, and from this point on, we're going to see him, at least spiritually or emotionally, preparing the disciples for what is ahead. Jesus knew. That's one of those really mind. Twisting kinds of a thing that Jesus knew what was coming. He knew every moment, every betrayal, every pain, every, everything that was going to happen. He knew every single bit of it. And he pointed his nose toward Jerusalem and he went. Why? Because of you. Because he loved you so much that the only way he was going to be able to see you in his kingdom for the rest of eternity is if he did what he's about to do. For love, he went to that horrible, horrible cross. We come to a couple of verses now that have been misinterpreted for hundreds of years by some religious groups. Verse 18, and I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. We could spend, you know, quite a bit of time here. I'm just going to kind of cruise over a couple of points. One interesting thing is this is the first occurrence of the word church in the New Testament. And so that's, you know, kind of just one of those things. I always look at those things and say, okay, well, that's, that's right here. He said, I'm going to build my church. That makes sense. It's the first place we see it. What is the church? You know we sadly we've used we use the word for all sorts of stuff. You know I said I'm going to church. Well what does that mean? I'm going to a place typically. You know, you're going to this place or whatever other place you're going to. Or it refers to a building or it might refer to a group of people. Calvary Chapel French Valley the church, a better understanding it, the church is the visible expression of Jesus as king. Everywhere that Jesus is king, everywhere that there's a visible expression of Jesus as king, that's the church. Now, where could that be? Anywhere. It can be in your home. It can be in your heart. It can be wherever you go, if, if you go with recognize and acknowledge in the reality that Jesus is, one of the songs we sang, I think it was the last song, that Jesus as Lord, born as Lord, Lord at, at thy birth, I think was the, the, the actual line. We might want to save that one for next week too, because that's going to be my theme. Um, just saying, just giving you a heads up there. G- yeah, he, he was born king. Um, shiny thing. Got all distracted. Anywhere that Jesus king, that's the church. Now I would pray Calvary Chapel, French Valley is a place where Jesus is king. Can we say amen that Jesus is king here? This is the church. We have our Bible study. The Bible study is the church. When we go out when we, take, when we take our, just go out and live our life out there, if we're doing it with Jesus on the throne of our hearts, that is the church going out. And we should remind ourselves that there is only one church. It's not Calvary Chapel, French Valley. It's not any other group or denomination or anything else. The church is, is ultimately wherever Christ is king. And that would be anyone who has humbled their heart before God and allowed the Holy Spirit to, to baptize them into the kingdom of God. That's the church. Now, there's a whole message on church unity and all other things in there, but we don't have time for that. We're going to keep moving on. So as a true church, as, as one church, we have one head. Our, the head of our church is whom? Jesus. Jesus. Christ Jesus is our head. That means he's in charge. He's the boss. He decides. And when we, when we make decisions in this church, one of the things that we do is we try to make sure that we are, we are yielding to the headship of Christ in whatever decision we make. Would Christ make this decision? You know, give, give Pastor Rick a raise. Would he make that? No, kidding, kidding. I don't, don't want to talk about that. Jesus loves me That's the way that I am. He's the head. He's responsible. And so he says here to Peter, and, and he uses a, a play on words that isn't obvious in the English. Um, and he says to Jesus or to Peter, that you are the rock. He says, he says, on this rock I will build. He doesn't say G- Peter is the rock. Though Peter's name, translated, means rock. And, and the word rock means rock. Though the word rock, they're two different Greek words. Slightly different. They're not, they're not totally different. They're slightly different. The second one, the rock on which he's building his church, is the idea of bedrock. Solid. That thing that, is, you know, that doesn't move. The 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 word they use for Peter is a little bit different. It's like the it's like the dirt over the bedrock, which means you know what do we know about that dirt? It's not solid, and it's movable, which is a good description of Peter, right? The rock that Jesus is referring to, that this church can be built on, is not Peter. That's that is a misinterpretation of this scripture. The rock that he's referring to is the confession that Peter makes. What's the confession? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's the rock. It's on that which Jesus would build his church. Not on Peter. Heaven forbid. Can you imagine him picking a guy? It's a picking me, for example. I'm gonna build my church on Rick. That is a terrible idea. Yeah, I'm not, a, I'm not a terrible person, but that's a terrible idea, okay? Listen, the, the, what, what Peter did is he confessed the truth of who Jesus is. And what that says to us is something that one of the characteristics of the church is it's a confessing church. The church confesses the truth about who Jesus is. What is the truth about who Jesus is? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, now that title encompasses a wide variety of, of characteristics and, and ministry and, and aspects of who Jesus is. Too much for us to get into today. But what he says is that I'm going to build my church on that confession. And he says, and he follows this, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That's, again, remember our context. He's standing in this place where he can look over and see the cave where the statue of Pan is, where they believe the entrance to the underworld is. It says says, the gates of Hades... He might have have even pointed, the gates of Hades shall not prevail, or another word is overcome it. Now, nothing in this universe, not even the immense power of the devil, can destroy Christ's church. Thousands of years now, 2,000 years, the devil has been trying to destroy the church hasn't done it. He's done a decent job of corrupting big parts of it, but he can't destroy it. There will always be a remnant. There will always be true believers who will stand up in front of whomever and say, Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. And nothing you say is going to change that. Now, Satan is going to throw... Has thrown, will continue to throw, all his evil forces at the church, and we deal with it all the time. You know, we we live in a state where you know it's not uncommon for you know laws to be passed that are are antagonistic toward the church. He's going to throw all of his forces at the church. He's going to he's going to throw persecution and affliction and distress, but he's never going to prevail over the church. Now, what that means for us as a church is, you know, we're going to keep doing what we do until, until, well, Jesus tells us to do something different. The same truth applies for us as individuals. No matter what Satan throws at you, he can't destroy you. It's not possible. God won't allow it. If you're a true believer, you cannot be destroyed. John 10, 27 through 29, Jesus speaking. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. If you're a true believer in Jesus Christ, that's talking to you, about you. And I give them eternal life. How long is eternal life? Forever. Never ends. I give them, and I, and, and that give means It it is a one-time done thing, never to be changed, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. no one can take you out of the hand of Christ. That's pretty good. Let's double it up. Verse 29, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I imagine that if, if, I'm, if I am a believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus has me in my hand, but he also says his Father does, and I imagine this double-fisted grip on my life. Who is going to break that? No one. Oh, the encouragement that I give us when life gets uncomfortable or difficult Satan can't destroy you. He might try. He might mess with you. Doesn't mean he can't bring pain and suffering into your life, but he can't destroy you. God's not going to allow it. And if you'll stand your ground, you're standing in victory. Because Jesus always has the victory. Another verse people disagree with the interpretation of is the next one, verse 19. And I will give you, he's speaking to Peter, I will give you the keys... Of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Um, some suggest that this this is Jesus making Peter responsible for deciding who is getting into heaven. Like. I, I, And I'm sure you've seen the meme, you've heard the joke of Peter standing at the pearly gates, right? Come on, we've all seen them. I mean, they've been around for generations. It makes for fun, but it's terrible theology. Jesus, only Jesus is responsible for who gets into heaven. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, who is no one, not anyone, comes to the Father except through me. There's only one way. Well, that's narrow, pastor. That's narrow. Praise God it's narrow. How lost would we be if there were a thousand ways to get to heaven? We wouldn't be able to figure it out. We, weren't be, we wouldn't be sure, because if there's a thousand, there might be a thousand and one. If there's a thousand and one, there might be a thousand and two. How do you know your way is right? There's only one way. I know that one's right, because Jesus said so. The keys of the kingdom, what we need to do is, again, we need to back that up into, into the cultural um, interpretation of that, the time that Jesus said these words, what did it mean to the people who first heard it? And what it meant to the people who first heard it is that it pointed right back to the Jewish religious people. When, when the rabbis and the teachers taught the law, they were considered to have the keys of the kingdom. And that when, when they taught, they were unlocking the kingdom for everyone who heard them. Jesus is now handing that role over to Peter and the other disciples and, ultimately, to everyone who would follow. Peter did have a unique role. He was the first to unlock the gospel to the Jews. We see that in Acts chapter 2. And then he was the first one to unlock it to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. But then what happened? Paul... And others, they started showing up and started doing the same thing and unlocking. And and frankly, I think Paul unlocked a lot more of the kingdom of heaven than Peter ever did. Peter was the first, but he was not the only one. Now, Now, if you are a believer here today, you've been a believer for more than a minute. I am guessing that at some point in your spiritual experience, some teacher has unlocked a spiritual truth that you hadn't seen before. That is them wielding the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Every teacher has that responsibility. And I, I promise you, as a teacher of the word of God, I take, that, I take that role very seriously. It is a great burden to carry those keys because what you lock, what you unlock, you can also lock. And the idea of locking somebody out of the kingdom is absolutely obnoxious to me. It makes me sick to my stomach to imagine. I might say something that blocks someone from the kingdom. Now, I I trust the Holy Spirit to carry me and to deal with all of that. So I just let let him speak, and he takes care of the rest. Somebody say hallelujah for that. But that's what we as teachers are called to do to bear the keys of the kingdom of heaven and to unlock for those who who can't do it themselves. And frankly, all of us, myself included. I, I, I depend upon other teachers to teach me those things that I don't know. And I have had spiritual truth unlocked to me. It happens to me on a regular basis as I'm studying scripture. While I lean upon and I depend upon the Holy, the Holy Spirit and I've studied enough to allow the Holy Spirit to give him lots of stuff to work with, I still let other teachers teach me. And I, and I learn things on a regular basis. We all need to do that. And this idea of binding and loosing, yeah, it's, a, it's a call to accountability but we see in Peter and the other apostles a very unique work that they did in the early church. They were given a special dispensation. And, and we know that because we have it recorded in Scripture where we're told that they, were, that they did certain things that, that, that basically bound and loose you know, things in this kingdom. But for example, the, at the Jerusalem Council they determined that Gentiles don't have to be circumcised to be believers. Yeah, you know, they they made these things. Okay, you, you know, you don't, you know, that that there's certain rules that we're gonna follow others that we're not. Great liberty was given to some and others didn't have it. It was like this, the whole jumbled thing. And they said, okay, here's the deal. And they laid it all out. And you see it, you study the writings of Paul. You see the same thing, him loosing and unloosing things, giving them clarity on all of these things so that we understand what it is that God wants us to do, how he wants us to do it. This text is going to end by Jesus telling them not to tell anyone. He's going to do that regularly. Verse 20, then he commanded disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ, saying, okay, you just confess that I am the Christ, now don't tell anybody. Now, now, most were not ready to receive. They weren't ready to receive the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Something else needed to happen first. Before he was ready to make this public, very public proclamation that he was the Messiah, the savior of the world, he had to do one more thing. And that would take place at the cross. We started, he start, he'll start talking about that as we go forward in this text. It, we'll we'll do that in a couple of weeks. We've got <clears throat> we'll do a special t- a special teaching next week for Christmas, and then after that we have uh, Pastor Brandon from Indonesia is going to be here and he's going to share with us. So please, if you're in town, you don't have to come all the way back. But if you're in town, <clears throat> come and 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 encourage him. His whole family will be here. So please, uh, please, please do that. Jesus asked one question that I think really is the key of this whole text. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? There's no more important question in the universe. And the world will always have weird ideas about who Jesus is. And we need to be so clear. We need to be clear. We need to know who he is. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Say it with me. Right there. See it right there? Can you see it? Even you blind people in the back can read that, right? Yeah, even you, Monty. Say it with me. Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God. Say it one more time with passion. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. That is something that ought to just, just radiate out from us. It ought to be something that becomes a natural expression of who we are. If somebody says, who is Jesus? Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. You want to know what that means? Can I explain it to you? We need to make it real in our heart, believing that it is true. And I, I'm speaking to the choir here. I know that. But we need to let it be something that just radiates out from us so naturally that when somebody does ask us the question, maybe somebody will ask us the question. Who knows? But are you willing to say those words out loud? Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, we make it real by allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us everything that it entails, because it says a lot. That short phrase says a lot. And we need to let the Holy Spirit teach us that, Because as we learn what all of the reality of of just even the name Jesus, what does that mean? What does the word Christ mean? What does the the word living in that statement mean? As we learn those things and we express those things and we just believe those things, it's going to come out in the way that we live. We're going to talk about it. We're We're going to say it to somebody. One last time. Say it with me. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's pray, and we'll ask the Holy Spirit help us to make it more real in our hearts. Heavenly Father, we do come to you now, and we recognize that, that all these things that we talk about here today, that um, as some of them you know people have disagreed about for generations, but Lord, There's no confusion in your heart. You know exactly what these things mean. And Lord, if we're believers here today, then we all have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same words of Scripture. We have the same Holy Spirit. And you can bring understanding to us in a sense of peace and calm that what these things are, what they mean to us and what they mean for us, what they mean for you in the kingdom. And so I pray. I pray for your anointing over us as we go out of this place. But I pray most especially, Lord, you identified who you were and you called your people to confess the reality of who you are. You are Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, and all that that entails. And Lord, I don't know, I don't know the spiritual state of every single person here or watching online some maybe, maybe still struggling with, with being able to accept the reality of everything that that phrase says. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're, there's some part of it that they they just don't get yet, or they don't they don't believe yet. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd move in them right now. Maybe there's somebody watching online, or will watch this in the future, and they're not sure about this Jesus guy. The world has lots of ideas about him, most of them wrong. And there are many things in life that we can have wrong opinions of and it really doesn't make that much of a difference. But there's one thing that if we get it wrong, it changes our eternity. And that's no small thing. And so I pray if there's anyone watching online here this morning that has not opened their heart to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that they do so right this very moment, they'd recognize that the Bible says some very clear things about us. There's a reason why Jesus came to die on that cross. And the reason was because there was sin in the world. And that sin is spread to every single person on earth. And so every single person who has ever been born has to deal with that. And there's only one way to deal with that, and that's through Jesus. And it begins when we confess the fact that we do have sin in us. we have this this nature that wants to do what it wants to do and not what God wants to do. and we've fallen short of God's perfection And the only way the only way to get that dealt with is by confessing that Jesus died for our sins. So if there's anyone here, anyone watching online who has never done that, I pray they do it right this moment they would just just acknowledge in your heart yes. That speaks of me. I I did. I have sinned. I have done what I want to do. I know I've done wrong. There's no way for you to make that right apart from Jesus. You can take this moment right now and open your heart and ask Jesus to forgive you. Believe that when he died on the cross, he died for your sins as much as for everyone else's. And by believing that, you can be forgiven. And you can have the freedom that comes with that. And you have the hope of heaven. And so I pray if there's anyone here that has not done that, that they would do it right this very moment. And I pray for the rest of us. As we prepare to go out of this place, that this phrase would just ring in our hearts. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that every time we think of it, that our hearts would rejoice. Every time we think of it, it would would recenter our thoughts and our feelings and our attitudes about things. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a beautiful thing. And I pray that you would just fill our hearts with the joy and the peace and the hope and the beauty that that phrase is. And that you would use us, Lord, to take that message out into a dark and dying world. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love. And we give the rest of this day to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we learn more about our Savior King and His Kingdom in the Gospel of Matthew. It is our hope that these messages will help you grow in your faith. If you have any questions or there is anything we can do to help you with that, please do not hesitate to connect with us. Go to calvaryfv.com connect to find all the ways that you can connect with us. As Christians, we are all connected in Christ. One of the ways we would like to engage with you is in the area of prayer. Please let us know how we can be praying for you. Send us an email to prayer at calvaryfv.com or text the word pray to 951-419-5396. If this material has been useful to you, please share it with someone. Also, please pray that God would use these messages to help others find hope in Jesus Christ. You can also partner with us financially by going to calvaryfv.com slash give or text the word give to 951-419-5396. Until next time, go be radical with Jesus.